We are on a 13-week series called Surviving Suffering. Uh, we had an individual come in last night and said, are we still suffering? I said, yes, for four more weeks. And that's exactly what he was saying. We're still on the topic of suffering. How are we going to get through this? Well, we've got to get through the book of Job. And then after we get through the book of Job, we'll be moving right towards um, the cross of Christ. And uh, right, before, right before Easter uh, takes place. So we're going through the book of Job now. And just before we get to this passage that we're going to be working off of, I just want to ex- describe the book of Job. Um, hopefully everybody's been reading it as we're going through this uh, series. Um, but to describe the book of Job, the first two chapters, there's a do- dialogue between Satan and, uh, and God. God brings a dialogue up. His dialogue is, have you considered my servant Job? He is completely righteous. And uh, Satan's response to that was, oh, considered him. There's nothing I could do to him because he put a hedge of protection around him. And then you see God make a statement that makes a lot of Christians mad. It's like, take him. Do what you want with them, but don't kill them. That's your instructions. I'm going to give you enough rope to hang yourself. That's what I'm going to do, and I'll let you do it. And sure enough, that's what took place. But then for the next 34 chapters, after those two chapters happen, Job goes to an extreme amount of suffering. And in these 34 chapters, what takes place is a dialogue between Job and his three friends trying to figure out what is going on, what has taken place, What's God doing? What's God not doing? Are you being punished? Are you not being punished? Have you brought something in your life to cause this suffering? And the dialogue gets pretty intense. And if you enjoy soap operas, I will tell you the book of Job is a great book to look into, uh, to watch what takes place when the emotions are high and the drama is intense. 34 chapters, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar are going back and forth with Job as they're trying to answer questions about what is going on in regards to this suffering. And then chapter 4, see God is sitting back there watching all this. Chapter 4, God grabs a hold of the microphone, and then God starts to speak. See, they're looking for answers. They're trying to get their questions um, understood. They're trying to figure this whole thing out, and God lets it happen. But then four chapter, the last four chapters in the book of Job, God says, well, let me talk for a little bit. And then he has a dialogue between him and Job, and then the book is, uh, is done. So what is going to take place in that dialogue between God when he gets the microphone? What's God going to say? There's, all, there's one large overriding statement um, that he says in that, and whatever God says to Job, I think he can say to us as we question God in our process of suffering, and that would be number one in our notes. To survive suffering, you need a God-sized God, not a divine secretary. God could have said anything after an entire 34 chapters of arguing. He could have said anything. But what it's interesting of what he said carries an extreme amount of power that we can carry and live with today. What happens, there's kind of two waves that take place. Job 38, 1 through 4, there brings an introduction of of God saying something, and then he gives a download inside of a wave. And then almost he takes a breath in chapter 40, and what happens in chapter 40, he says something else and then gives another wave after this comment. But whatever he says on the top of the chapter is what's going to carry the bottom of the chapter. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the verses, and they're in your notes, the two chops of the chapters, and what is he trying to communicate in that process. Let's read it and let's work through it. Job 38, 1 through 4, and then Job 40, 1 through 2. Then the Lord answered Job out of a storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? 
Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. We raised two daughters. One is 18, and also one is 15. And uh, you ask, what is the most difficult time um, of life raising your child? I'd say the two-year-old, three-year-old. It was was difficult. It was intense. And you raised two years old, three years old. You know the behavior. You know the temperament if you have raised a child during that time. And uh, I will tell you that uh, your child needs some things from you. What does a child need from you? child needs your perspective. In fact, when Jody and I was raising Madeline and Maya, both, um, they needed our perspective, not their perspective. We had a wood stove. Wood stove, what do you have? Glitter, beautiful, shiny lights that would just be great to touch. Well, we got to put things in perspective. We put a fence around up, and if you start to go towards those lights, we spank you and say, no, you need to stay away. We discipline, we pull back. We try to protect our child because we have perspective that they do not have in every situation, in every circumstances. We also, our children, they need our plan, not theirs. I tell you, if our children, if we were on their schedule and their plan, they wouldn't go to bed at night. They'd eat all the sugar they ever wanted to eat. I will tell you that our household would be an exact mess if they ran the household instead of us. We know that. They needed our reasons, um, not theirs. Their reasoning mechanism, I tell you, wasn't working at two years old. They had all these reasons of why they should have this, why they should do this, and if they didn't have it or do it, they, what did they do? They screamed. And what we would do is we would say, okay, no, we have reasons for this, and we would explain to them the reason because we had the mind that was so far more powerful than their mind as we were raising our children. We also, they needed our will, not theirs. If I gave, if they were in charge with their will, I'd tell you again, our house would be a disaster. They needed our direction, not theirs. They needed our power, not theirs. This is what our children needed from us. They needed our strength. They needed our power. But boy, I remember when our children were two years old, they wanted power. In fact, their voice was absolutely horrific when they screamed and they threw that temper tantrum, temper tantrum, and they wanted more than their voice. You can easily see that. I think God designed it. You know, I'll make the kids small when they raise up because they're going to go through some stages that are pretty intense. I remember raising Maddie in a conversation that my wife had, and it was a serious conversation. We looked at each other very quietly and says, you know, I think we're raising an axe murderer because her behavior, her attitude, her flailing, I just don't know what is the world is going on. We're glad that we had more power than, than, than she did at two years old. They needed our wisdom, not theirs. Our wisdom is much more developed rather than yours. This is what they needed. But a child, child, they don't want that. They don't want their perspective, parents' perspective. They don't want their plan. They don't want their reasons. They don't want their will. They don't want their power. They don't want their knowledge. They don't want their wisdom. And they will scream to the top of the lungs because they want to be in control. In fact, just to put it in perspective, they really like their parents to be their secretaries, (laughs) Just to say, all right, you do this, mom and dad, and if you don't, I will cry, I will scream. And yes, we serve them, we work with them, we raise them, and it took time, devotion, attention. But did you ever think that you were their secretaries? 
No, you are their parents taking care of them, guiding them through life. When we suffer, we have all kinds of needs from God. When Job suffered, he had all kinds of needs from God. In fact, Job's represents the whole human race in regards to the needs that he had from God in regards to his suffering. What kind of needs did he have? He needed a reason. If he could just get a reason, then he'd be able to survive it. He needed an explanation from God. If he could just hear God talk and give him an explanation of why he's going to suffer, and we know why, because he handed him over to Satan. If he could just give him that explanation, then everything would be okay. He needed a purpose for his suffering. It's a lot easier to survive and suffer. And if he had a purpose, he needed justice. He needed perspective. He needed vindication. Many things that he needed. But when God showed up, he kind of made one powerful statement. You are literally not in need of all those things. You are in need of a God-sized God. Number two in our notes, with an attitude. You're in need of a God-sized God with an attitude. What was an attitude? When we think of attitude, we think attitude is a behavior problem. We think it is a bad attitude. Attitude does not mean that. This is an attitude. An attitude is a way of feeling or acting towards a person, thing, or situation. This is the way I feel. This is the way I act towards this thing or that situation. What happens is you need, and you're in suffering, you need to know that there is a God-sized God that is feeling and acting to you and your situation. And he has a plan, he has a mission, he has a focus, he has a purpose, and he is passionate about expressing it to you. Let's read the passage and work through it. Job 38, then the Lord answered Job out of a storm. I will question you and you shall answer me. There's three different words I want to look at. The first one is Lord. Uh, In Hebrew, there's two different words. Um, Hebrew names for Lord, and one is Elohim and one is Yahweh. Elohim means a divine being. Yahweh is the same word, personal name for God that gives Moses his direction at the burning bush that says, I will go with you. You and I will be together. It's very intimate. It's very personal. Elohim is not this word. Yahweh is. Huge statement. Then Yahweh, I'm your friend. I'm connected with you. I am going to talk with you. I'm going to have a dialogue with you. But we are going to talk together. The next word is answered. Answered um, is a word that is explaining that you and I are going to have a dialogue. We're going to speak. I'm going to ask you some questions, and you're going to speak back. You can be allowed to speak back. There's going to be a conversation that's going to take place between both of us. There's another Hebrew word that, um, that is mentioned in the first two chapters that when he is having a dialogue with Satan, that Hebrew word is literally, you sit down, shut up, I have authority, I will tell you what to do. Satan, that's the dialogue. But this one, answered, the Hebrew word is not that. The answer is, we're going to have a conversation. Here we are, close, I'm a personal God to you, and we're going to have a conversation. And then Job came to him out of a storm. Well, a storm, what's a storm? A storm is a whirlwind, a tempest, a passion, an energy. God is saying, we're going to have a conversation, you and I, and I am passionately involved with absolutely everything that you are involved with. I am passionately involved, and I have an opinion on what is going on, and I'm going to give you my opinion. And the way that God gives you his opinion is the most powerful communication tool mechanism that you can possibly think of. 
You can tell there's a lot of wisdom in God as he is speaking. Do you know what he starts using? Does he start preaching Job a sermon? No, he doesn't preach a sermon. Why? Because sermons goes over tops of people's heads. If I preach a sermon, it just goes, ah, oh, we only catch part of it, because it just goes right over the top. But instead, what is he, is he, he asks Job's questions. See, if he starts to ask Job a question, then Job needs to think. Why? Because he's got to come up with an answer. Job needs to process. Why? Because he's got to come up with a conclusion to the questions that are being asked. Now, the reason why this is powerful communication is because God wanted Job to think because he wanted to put everything in perspective. Let's look at the questions that he asked. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off the dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched out the measuring line across it? On what were the footings set? Or what laid the cornerstone? Who shut up the sea behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb? Have you ever, ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? The wicked are denied their light and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the sea? Tell me if you know all this. Have you entered the storehouse of the snow or seen the storehouse of the hail? God is saying, I am involved in all of those things. Are you involved in all of those things? And Job is trying to come up with an answer. It's like, um, just the storehouse of the, sn- of the snow or the hail? I mean, you get involved in the storehouse? I don't get involved in the storehouse. of. And you do what? You get involved with the light? You get involved with all the dimensions? You mark everything out? God is saying, I am passionately involved with everything that takes place in this earth. I am passionately involved with everything that takes place in this earth. What makes you think that I would not be involved in your suffering? What makes you think that I would not be in tune with your suffering? What makes you think that I would not hurt through the process of your suffering? What makes you think that I'd be involved in absolutely everything except you, Job? What makes you think that I am not involved with you and your suffering? What makes you think that I've lost control? What makes you think that I'm not focused? What makes you think that you are alone? What he's doing, he's asking this question to Job, and Job is trying to come up with the answer, and as he's coming up with the answer, he's like, oh my, he is doing absolutely everything, and here I have condemned him because I believe he's not present, I believe he lost control, I believe he lost focus, and I believe that I'm alone, and if he's doing all this, obviously I'm not. Job needed a God-sized God with a God-sized emotion. A God-sized attitude. Another thing that Job needed is Job needed a God-sized God with a God-sized plan. I am one-track mind, and uh, it has caused conflicts in our marriage, <laughs> uh, just in one sense. I'm in one-track mind in many different situations and many different senses. Just to give you an example. You know, if I'm going to go out to the barn to feed the cows, I tell my wife, hey, I'm going out to the barn to feed the cows. That means I'm going out to the barn and I'm going to feed the cows. But she will say, hey, you want to take the trash out? The trash can is right next to you as you, as you walk by it to feed the cows. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm going to feed the cows. I'm not taking out the trash. Yeah, but you're walking right by it. Okay, give me the trash. I pick up the trash. Oh, by the way, since you're going right by the shop, too, do you want to just make sure the dogs have been fed? 
It's like, no, I'm one track mind. I'm going to feed the cows. I'm not feeding the dogs. I'm not taking out the trash. I'm, fe- I'm feeding the cows. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. You're just walking by it. Why don't you do that? And I just look at her and say, you want me to f- weed the flower bed too since I'm walking by it to go to the barn? And she says, oh, that's a good idea. Do you mind weeding the flower bed before you get to the barn? And, and I will tell you that I get a little bit frustrated with that. It's like, I'm going to do this plan. Don't mess with me because the plan will be completed. The plan will be done. And don't distract me, literally, from the plan. Job 38. Who is this that darkens my counsel? What is counsel? Counsel is not counseling. Counsel is a plan. Who is this that darkens my plan? Somebody's messing with God's plan. And as we mess with God's plan, how do we do it? Well, we definitely water it down. God has this plan. God has this idea. In the book of Job, they watered it down. They changed it. They confused it. They misquoted God in the process of it. And they insulted God's plan as they're sitting and having these communications of, this is the reason why you suffer, Job. This is the reason what's taking place. This is what God is doing. And God's going, oh, these guys, these guys. Who is it that darkens? Darkens means blackens. It means distort. It means twist. It means to misguide. It means to speak in the context of God, but yet not know the words of God correctly. Job 38. Can you bring forth the consolations in their seasons or lead out the bear with their cubs? You have a plan, Job. So far, build that. They had a plan as well. Eliphaz, he had a plan as well. But are they capable of even completing their plan? They're not even capable. They're not a God-sized God, but I am. Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you, here we are? I'm a God-sized God that has a plan for the lightning bolts, and I send them to their way, and they report to me. Do they report to you? He's putting everything into perspective, and Job is thinking, oh my goodness, he has a plan, and he is, is God continues, do you hunt the prey of the lioness to satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait to the thicket? Who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God and wander about for the lack of food? Job suffered. But was there a plan? Was there a God-sized plan? Was there a divine plan in a suffering? We know that Job didn't know it. But do we? In fact, let's just look at the book of Job. As we look at the book of Job right now, did God have a plan that was a God-sized plan with Job suffering? Job didn't really think so. He just was just blown away by the suffering. But did he have a God-sized plan? Do you know what? This took place 3,000 years ago. 3,000 years ago, what's happening? We are reading the story of Job today and preaching about it this morning. And the story of Job is changing lives all over the world. The story of Job is changing lives all over the world. In fact, it is the most priceless gem that has ever been penned on paper in regards to the topic of suffering that has been used more than anything else in the world. And Job had no idea that it was going to happen. No idea. But we look back and we see that it has happened. We see that it is happening. And we also see that it is going to do what? Continue to happen. The book of the Bible is the most sold book by so far across the entire world. And the book of Job is there. And when you want to know what suffering is about, you look up the book of Job. Job suffered. We don't know how long, but for a certain period of time. And as a result, I received something. 
Look at the book of Job. Did he have a plan? Well, I'll tell you what the book of Job does. In fact, it's one of my best books in Scripture. And the reason why is because it gives an extreme revelation of God. This passage right here just gives a huge revelation of God. There's a, a revelation of God that I go into the storehouses of the hail. Oh my goodness, are you serious, guys? You, you, you do that? I command the lightning bolts. See, there's a huge revelation of God. Because Job saw us for 3,000 years, gets a massive revelation from God. Was there a divine plan to Job's suffering? Yes, one that he never saw of, but one that we all feed off of today. Number four, Job needed a God-sized God with a God-sized brain. How big is God's brain? (laughs) We have no idea. However, we have telescopes, so we can look at it a little bit. So the way that we can look at it is we can ask the question, how many stars are in the galaxy? Uh, We have some intelligence that can figure out roughly, give or take a billion that there's 250,000 stars in a galaxy. 250 billion stars in a galaxy. That's pretty phenomenal. But we can count it. We can do math. We can do physics. We can figure that piece out. And of course, we're not going to be exactly right, but there's 250 billion. But did you know that there's 2 trillion galaxies (laughs) that are out there? So 250 billion stars in one galaxy, but then there's two trillion galaxies, and that's just a very, very rough estimate, give or take a trillion and a half, because things changed a little bit as our, as our intelligence get, our, um, our, um, our technology gets advanced. So just to say 250 billion stars times 200, um, two trillion galaxies, I tell you, it's taken numbers and it's gone way beyond our mind. We cannot, we cannot figure it out, but yet God names them all. God has them counted. God is observing them just like he's observing each of the hells, hail that falls to the ground. Well, what kind of brains do we have? Our brains are limited to isms. What happens is that uh, we create isms, and as we create these isms, we come up with a conclusion of understanding in each side of an ism. And an ism, what is an ism? Never heard of the term. An ism is a distinctive doctrine, system, or theory. The distinctive doctrine, this is how it works from God, from the spiritual. It's a system or it's a theory, and we create them to try to bring logic to the situation. You might think, an ism, I've never even heard of that term before. And it's like, oh yes, you have heard of that term before. Have you ever heard the word Hinduism or deism or determinism? or Gnosticism, or Monism, or Naturalism, Pantheism, Polytheism, Realism, Evolutionalism. See what we're doing? We're just creating all these boxes. And as we're creating all these boxes, we're coming up with information that says, this is the way it is according to this box. And guess how much we have of them? How many we have of them? We have 200 of them. <laughs> 200. So here, God has worked with 250 billion times 2 trillion, whatever that number is. We can't figure it out. And we've got 200 isms that we have literally come up with and created to try to give an explanation of what is going on. And do you know what the most embarrassing part about that is? Most of our isms disagree with each other. 
In fact, they're all different contexts. Well, well, it's this way I'm going this way, this way I'm going this way. Evolutionism is saying, well, the world was created by nothing. Atheism says there is absolutely no God. Gnosticism says there is a God that is large and big. See, they're all disagreeing with each other. Do you think God looks down as we create all these isms and shakes his head and go, boy, these guys are so messed up. They just don't work with a full deck of cards. I mean, God probably doesn't say that because that's not something that God would say. But our mind doesn't even compute to where God's mind is. And God brings that up, the conversation with Job. Here's the top of the verse. Who is this that darkens my counsel, my plan, with words without knowledge? You're functioning under your knowledge and you're putting everything in a box that is a man box or a woman box, an intelligent box, and you're calling it logic. It is not logic. It's only logic of a man. But I work off of something different than logic of a man. I do not put, therefore, don't put me in a box. Don't darken my plan in your box. Don't work with me in a box. Work with me in my mind. He continues, Job 37, do you know how God controls the clouds and makes his lightning flash? Yes, we figured it out science-wise. We've got it all figured out, do we? Do you know how the clouds hang poised with those wonders of him who is perfect in knowledge? Do we really have all that figured out, all those things? Who marked off the dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched out the measuring line across it? Okay, you might figure some things out in science, but have you figured out who is a marked and we can say, yes, haven't you studied evolutionism? It just all of a sudden happened. And it's like God's shaking his head. Um, that's your only explanation? If that's your only explanation, why do you still call it a theory? On what were the footings set? Or who laid the cornerstone? Have you ever comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? The heavens there is three different heavens. There is an atmospherical heaven, there's a space, a universal heaven, and there's a heaven beyond the universe. And this here is referring to beyond the universe, or not beyond the universe, it's referring to the, the space, the, um, the, atmos- um, the, um, the space heavens, the universe heavens. Do you know the laws of the universe is what it's saying? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? He went from the universe and then he went to the earth because this is something that Job can see. And Job's thinking, No, we can't do that. In fact, I can't even wrap my mind around it. Job 38, who endowed the heart with wisdom or gave understanding to the mind? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens? When the dust became hard, the clods of the earth stick together. Do you know them when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Tim Keller makes this statement. If you have a God who is big enough and powerful enough to be mad at because he is not stopping suffering, then you have a God big enough to have reasons for it that you couldn't possibly conceive or comprehend. To look at suffering to come to the conclusion that there is absolutely no God is to assume that anything that you can't imagine is possible is impossible. It is working specifically off your mind and your mind alone. What did Job need? Job knew that he had a God-sized God with a God-sized brain working within his situation. Number five, a God-sized God has a God-sized reason. Elizabeth Elliot was a sufferer. 
And Tim Keller gives this direction of his book. Elizabeth Elliot was a, a sufferer, and she wrote this book called No Graven Image. It was a novel that was written, and it's a, um, a, non, it's a, a fiction novel. It means a story. And as they're telling the story, they're talking about the story about this lady who went down to South Africa, and she used a linguist to interpret the Bible. She got connected with a guy named Pedro, and again, it's just a story, a fictional story. Got connected with a guy named Pedro, and Pedro knew four different languages. And since Pedro knew four different languages, he was the source that would help her interpret the Bible. Because he knew the native language, he was connected with the native people, he would be able to work with her and the Word of God, and he had a sharp, sharp mind, so they can work together the process of getting the Word of God out. He was the source that she could use. So what did he, she do? She worked with him for one year, two years, three years, worked with him for many years, and I will tell you, they dedicated their entire lives to interpret the Bible, to give it to the native language in their tongue. And I have to tell you, there was excitement. As excitement came, they come across books, and this book was interpreted, that book was interpreted, and as the Bible was getting in the hands, there was a joy, there was a passion, and they were doing it, and they were doing it right. One day, Pedro got sick. As he got sick, uh, this lady wanted to help him, so he gave him a shot of penicillin. And she told everybody, it's like, he's sick, but don't worry, we'll give him the shot, and, and it'll be able to cure his illness, and he'll be able to get back into health to help us to interpret. And sure enough, what took place is he had an re- allergic reaction. And we had an allergic reaction after she explained that everything's going to be better after the shot took place. After he had an allergic reaction, everybody started to question her. So what's going on? Why is he worse? He was better before you gave him a shot. What are you doing? What's taking place? And then in two different chapters, it is focused on him literally taking his last breath before he dies. And as he's taking his last breath, everybody's in the room yelling and screaming at her and saying, why are you killing him? Why did you do this? Why did you do this? And she's pleading to God, saying, God, please, I beg you, please stop. Answer my prayer. Listen to me. Don't leave me alone. Save him. And doesn't save him. And then you're waiting for the happy ending, but then the book is over. And that's the end of the story. And I will tell you that was not accepted very much by many Christians, just because that's not the way God works. The way that God works is God blesses faithfulness. God, if you put a pure heart to your work and you embrace God in everything you do, your hands will be blessed, your hands will be touched, and everything will happen for his kingdom and for your good um, in that process. And I'll tell you, the Christian community rejected this book. And the reason why they rejected the book, because they said, that's not the way God is. That's not the way that God is. There's a powerful statement that she writes in this book. It says this words, If God was merely my accomplice, meaning a secretary, if God was merely my secretary, he betrayed me. If, on the other hand, he was God, then he had set me free. If God was merely a secretary, he betrayed me. If, on the other hand, he was God, he would set me free. He has set me free. What is she talking about? Saying that her life, her actions... Her behavior was literally in God's hands, and God is to decide what he's going to do with the actions, with the behavior, and his name will be glorified under any circumstances. So as a Christian community rejected the book, did not like the book, she believed it. And the reason why is because she said it was her life. She felt like it was her life because she suffered, she suffered, she suffered. She's like, where's my fruit? Where's my fruit? Where's my fruit? Take the back of the book and you read the back of it. Elizabeth Elliot, one of the most influential Christian authors of the day. And she passed away. And as she 
passed away. I believe it was 19, I don't know what year, she, she ended up passing away, but it was, it was pretty recent ago. And after she passed away, we're still going to read her book. And we have a perspective that God is in control with his plan, with his mission, and with his reasons. And we can look at even a book like this or even the book of Job and say there is a divine reason behind absolutely everything that has taken place in her life and also in the book of Job and also in your life. And you don't know what the reason is, but you can be free to know that God is good. Job 40 says, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Would you claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. I'm a God-sized God with a God-sized reason, and you might have reasons for everything you do, but as you have reasons for everything you do, and you take God to justify those reasons, you're locking them in a box. Because there might be reasons far beyond your mind that you do not know. Number six, a God-sized God is the only thing that could get suffering a perspective. We all suffer, and we don't need to give an explanation to that. The reason why is because we know we do. And when we suffer, I will tell you that suffering is dark, suffering is wrong, suffering is hard, suffering is evil. And the last thing we want to do is we want to suffer. We also work with a God who is all-powerful, sovereign, and can stop suffering today. Well, that puts a lot of tension into us. And the reason why that puts a lot of attention into us is because suffering is dark, suffering is wrong, suffering is hard, suffering is evil, and God's all-powerful, and he can stop it absolutely today. And as we have tension, what do we do with the tension? What do we do with the tension? The tension creates a mystery. The tension creates questions. The question creates confusion. And the question creates frustration as we're trying to deal with the suffering that we're facing. We're trying to deal, as we're trying to deal with the suffering we face, but the topic of suffering is out of our category of understanding. The topic of suffering is out of our category of understanding. We can say, yes, I know that we live in a fallen world. Yes, we do live in a fallen world, but why didn't he stop it then? Why didn't he stop it now? Why doesn't it just, he, he push it at, at bay? He has God-sized reasons, and we don't know what they are. A God-sized God has a God-sized purpose, and we don't know what they are. A God-sized God has a God-sized attitude about it, which means he is involved, he is in tune, he is connected, he is inside of it, he was with you, he will not let go of you. Inside of it is a God-sized attitude that says, here you are, but don't worry, I'm involved exactly with you, even as you go through it. But as these questions rise, we've got to still remember that God is doing something that's much more beyond our mind. After the whole download, the conversation that um, God gave to Job, Job responded, and I will tell you that this is round one. Next week's going to be round two, and we're going to teach on this verse. This is a passage we're going to use next week because it's going to say a lot of things, but this is Job's response to working with a God-sized God. Then Then Job responded to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plans of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. But now my ears had heard you, but now my eyes 
have seen you. I repent in dust and ashes. There's one thing that he needed. He needed to know a God-sized God was on his side. And after he got the download, after he got the dialogue, he got the conclusion, there's a God-sized God on my side in suffering. Therefore, I once heard him, but now I see that he's there. I'll repent in dust and ashes because he realized he was on his side. Do you know that God is on your side? Well, I'll tell you that we have better resources than Job has. <laughs> what I mean by that is that Job is dealing with God Almighty, God All-Powerful. The description that Job is getting is, you know, look at my power, look at my glory, look at my strength, look at my sovereignty. That is some thick information. But what we get today asking the question, is God on our side, is we get the cross. We get God left heaven, came to earth, and be a man. And what happens when he becomes a man? (laughs) I can understand him. (laughs) I completely understand him. Why can I understand him? Because I'm a man. He's now speaking my vocabulary. He's speaking my language. I can see him walk. I can see him talk. I can see him live a perfect life, a life that I could not live. And then he does something crazy. He goes to a cross. And he takes all my sins and he puts it on his shoulders. And he dies for me and then he raises again. See, I understand all that. I understand pain. I understand the cross. And I ask the question, is God with me? Well, the answer is right there. I'm not only with you, I walked through it for you. That's how much I'm with you. Don't ever question my reasons or question my attitude or question my purpose. If you can look at the cross, you can't. You can't, and we can again see it clearly. We can stand with our chin up today knowing that we suffer, but knowing that we have a God-sized God who suffered for us and who lives with us. It's the only answer Job needed, and it's the only answer, it is the answer that we need today. Let's pray. God, I just ask that as we walk through suffering, God, that we will not get sidetracked. Sidetracked meaning stepping away from you. Sidetracked meaning blaming you. Sidetracked meaning not having anything to do with you as a result of our suffering. God, we have you who suffered at the cross, and as we see you who suffered at the cross, I just pray that it will be just a reflection of what you did for us and that we would aggressively embrace you for it. God, we know that we're not alone because of that cross in our suffering. God, we know that we're not by ourselves. God, we know that you love us. God, we know that you're connected with us. God, we know that you're walking with us. All we have to do is look at the cross, God, and we can see it. Every time we look at it, we see it. Thank you, God, for it. Help us not to let go of it. In Christ's name, amen.